Chapter Fourteen of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Angry words. I was going to my governess, as Lady Knollys said, and so I went. The undefinable sense of danger that smote me wherever I beheld that woman had deepened since last night's occurrence, and was taken out of the region of instinct or prepossession by the strange though slight indications of recognition and abhorrence which i had witnessed in lady knollys on that occasion the tone in which cousin monica had asked are you going to your governess and the curious grave and anxious look that accompanied the question disturbed me and there was something odd and cold in the tone as if a remembrance had suddenly chilled her the accent remained in my ear and the sharp brooding look was fixed before me as i glided up the broad dark stairs to madame de la rougierre's chamber she had not come down to the schoolroom as the scene of my studies was called she had decided on having a relapse and accordingly had not made her appearance downstairs that morning the gallery leading to her room was dark and lonely and i grew more nervous as i approached i paused at the door making up my mind to knock but the door opened suddenly and like a magic lantern figure presented with a snap appeared close before my eyes the great muffled face with the forbidding smirk of madame de la rougierre what you mean my dear child she inquired with a malevolent shrewdness in her eyes and her hollow smile all the time disconcerting me more even than the suddenness of her appearance what for you approach so softly i do not sleep you see but you feared perhaps to have the misfortune of wakening me and so you came is it not so to listen and look in very gently you want to know how i was vous êtes bien amable d'avoir pensé à moi bah she cried suddenly bursting through her irony why could not lady knollys come herself and listen to the keyhole to make her report what is there to conceal nothing enter if you please every one they are welcome and she flung the door wide turned her back upon me and with an ejaculation which i did not understand strode into the room i did not come with any intention madame to pry or to intrude you don't think so you can't think so you can't possibly mean to insinuate anything so insulting i was very angry and my tremors had all vanished now no not for you dear child i was thinking to milady knollys who without cause is my enemy every one has an enemy you will learn all that so soon as you are little older and without cause she is mine come maud speak of the truth was it not milady knollys who sent you here doucement doucement so quiet to my door is it not so little rogue madame had confronted me again and we were now standing in the middle of her floor i indignantly repelled the charge and searching me for a moment with her oddly shaped cunning eyes she said that is good child you speak her so direct i like that and i'm glad to hear but my dear maud that woman lady knollys is papa's cousin i interposed a little gravely she does hate me so you have no idea 
she has tried to injure me several times and would employ the most innocent person unconsciously you know my dear to assist her malice here madame wept a little i had already discovered that she could shed tears whenever she pleased i have heard of such persons but i never met another before or since madame was unusually frank no one ever knew better when to be candid at present i suppose she concluded that lady knollys would certainly relate whatever she knew concerning her before she left knoll and so madame's reserves whatever they might be were dissolving and she growing childlike and confiding et comment va monsieur votre père aujourd'hui very well i thanked her and how long milady knollys her visit is likely to be i could not say exactly but for some days eh bien my dear child i find myself better this morning and we must return to our lessons je veux m'habiller ma chère maud you await me in the schoolroom by this time madame who though lazy could make an effort and was capable of getting into a sudden hurry had placed herself before her dressing-table and was ogling her discoloured and bony countenance in the glass what horror i am so pale quel ennui what bore a week have i grown two three days and she practised some plaintive invalid glances into the mirror but on a sudden there came a little sharp inquisitive frown as she looked over the frame of the glass upon the terrace beneath it was only a glance and she sat down languidly in her armchair to prepare i suppose for the fatigues of the toilet my curiosity was sufficiently aroused to induce me to ask but why madame do you fancy that lady knollys dislikes you tis not fancy my dear maud ah no mais c'est tout une histoire too tedious to tell now some time may be and you will learn when you are little older the most violent hatreds often they are the most without cause but my dear child the hours they are running from us and i must dress feet feet so you run away to the schoolroom and i will come after madame had her dressing-case and her mysteries and palpably stood in need of repairs so away i went to my studies the room which we called the schoolroom was partly beneath the floor of madame's bedchamber and commanded the same view so remembering my governess's peering glance from her windows i looked out and saw cousin monica making a brisk promenade up and down the terrace walk well that was quite enough to account for it i had grown very curious and i resolved when our lessons were over to join her and make another attempt to discover the mystery as i sat over my books i fancied i heard a movement outside the door i suspected that madame was listening i waited for a time expecting to see the door open but she did not come so i opened it suddenly myself but madame was not on the threshold nor on the lobby i heard a rustling however and on the staircase over the banister i saw the folds of her silk dress as she descended she is going i thought to seek an interview with lady knollys she intends to propitiate that dangerous lady so i amused some eight or ten minutes in watching cousin monica's quick march and right about face upon the parade-ground of the terrace but no one joined her she is certainly talking to papa 
was my next and more probable conjecture having the profound distrust of madame i was naturally extremely jealous of the confidential interviews in which deceit and malice might make their representations plausibly and without answer yes i'll run down and see see papa she shan't tell lies behind my back horrid woman at the study door i knocked and forthwith entered my father was sitting near the window his open book before him madame standing at the other side of the table her cunning eyes bathed in tears and her pocket-handkerchief pressed to her mouth her eyes glittered stealthily on me for an instant she was sobbing desolée in fact that grim grenadier lady and her attitude was exquisitely dejected and timid but she was notwithstanding reading closely and craftily my father's face he was not looking at her but rather upward toward the ceiling reflectively leaning on his hand with an expression not angry but rather surly and annoyed i ought to have heard this before madame my father was saying as i came in not that it would have made any difference not the least mind that but it was the kind of thing that i ought to have heard and the omission was not strictly right madame in a shrill and lamentable key opened her voluble reply but was arrested by a nod from my father who asked me if i wanted anything only only that i was waiting in the schoolroom for madame and did not know where she was well she is here you see and will join you upstairs in a few minutes so back i went again huffed angry and curious and sat back in my chair with a clouded countenance thinking very little about lessons when madame entered i did not lift my head or eyes good child reading said she as she approached briskly and reassured no i answered tartly not good nor a child either i'm not reading i've been thinking très bien she said with an insufferable smile thinking is very good also but you look unhappy very poor child take care you are not good jealous for poor madame talking some time to your papa you must not little fool it is only for your good my dear maud and i had no objection you should stay you madame i said loftily i was very angry and showed it through my dignity to madame's evident satisfaction no it was your papa mr ruthyn who wished to speak alone for me i do not care there was something i wished to tell him i don't care who know but mr ruthyn he is different i made no remark come little maud you are not to be so cross it will be much better you and i to be good friends together why should we quarrel what nonsense do you imagine i would anywhere undertake the education of a young person unless i could speak with her parent what folly i would like to be your friend however my poor maud if you would allow you and i together what you say people grow to be friends by liking madame and liking comes of itself not by bargain i like every one who is kind to me and so i you are like me in so many things my dear maud are you quite well to-day i think you look fatigued so i feel too very tired 
I think we will put off the lessons to tomorrow, eh? We will come to play la grâce in the garden. Madame was plainly in a high state of exultation. Her audience had evidently been satisfactory, and like other people, when things went well, her soul lighted up into a sulphurous good humour, not very genuine nor pleasant, but still it was better than other moods. I was glad when our calisthenics were ended, and Madame had returned to her apartment, so that I had a pleasant little walk with Cousin Monica. We women are persevering when once our curiosity is roused, but she gaily foiled mine, and, I think, had a mischievous pleasure in doing so. As we were going in to dress for dinner, however, she said, quite gravely, "'I am sorry, Maud, I allowed you to see that I have any unpleasant impressions about that governess lady. I shall be at liberty some day to explain all about it, and, indeed, it will be enough to tell your father, whom I have not been able to find all day, that really we are, perhaps, making too much of the matter, and I cannot say that I know anything against Madame that is conclusive, or—' or indeed at all but that there are reasons and you must not ask any more no you must not that evening while i was playing the overture to cenerentola for the entertainment of my cousin there arose from the tea-table where she and my father were sitting a spirited and rather angry harangue from lady knollys's lips i turned my eyes from the music towards the speakers the overture swooned away with a little hesitating babble into silence, and I listened. Their conversation had begun under cover of the music which I was making, and now they were too much engrossed to perceive its discontinuance. The first sentence I heard seized my attention. My father had closed the book he was reading upon his finger, and was leaning back in his chair as he used to do when at all angry. His face was a little flushed, and I knew the fierce and glassy stare which expressed pride, surprise, and wrath. "'Yes, Lady Knollys, there's an animus. I know the spirit you speak in. It does you no honour," said my father. "'And I know the spirit you speak in, the spirit of madness,' retorted Cousin Monica, just as much in earnest. "'I can't conceive how you can be so demented, Austin. What has perverted you? Are you blind?' you are monica your own unnatural prejudice unnatural prejudice blinds you what is it all nothing were i to act as you say i should be a coward and a traitor i see i do see all that's real i'm no quixote to draw my sword on illusions there should be no halting here how can you do you ever think i wonder if you can breathe i feel as if the evil one were in the house a stern momentary frown was my father's only answer as he looked fixedly at her people need not nail up horseshoes and mark their door-stones with charms to keep the evil spirit out ran on lady knollys who looked pale and angry in her way but you open your door in the dark and invoke unknown danger how can you look at that child that's she's not playing said knollys abruptly stopping my father rose muttering to himself and cast a lurid glance at me as he went in high displeasure to the door cousin monica now flushed a little glanced also silently at me biting the tip of her slender gold cross 
and doubtful how much I had heard. My father opened the door suddenly, which he had just closed, and looking in, said, in a calmer tone, "'Perhaps, Monica, you would come for a moment to the study. I'm sure you have none but kindly feelings towards me and little Maud there, and I thank you for your good will, but you must see other things more reasonably, and I think you will.' Cousin Monica got up silently and followed him, only throwing up her eyes and hands as she did so, and I was left alone, wondering and curious more than ever. End of chapter 14